Well, this is, I like this. This is fun. It's a bit weird, all the youth being up there. I, I think I like it, but you know, like, you like the, who's those two guys in the Muppets who'd be up on the balcony heckling? You're not allowed to heckle the preacher, okay? Um, um, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 2, if you've got a, got a Bible. If not, you can listen. Well, um, Jared has shared on, on a number of occasions um, that in the beginning of 2020, we were in um, a refresh um, leaders forum. Um, we had a, a guest speaker from uh, the USA who was preaching, a prophetic minister. And one of the things he did was that he gave each leader in that meeting a blank sheet of paper. You heard, remember Jared talking about this and saying, look, if you could dream again, if you could uh, start church all over again, how would you do it? And he, he said, I feel that that is what God is about to give um, each leader, each church leader, each minister. It's going to be an opportunity to, to rethink, to, to reimagine um, how we do church, what we do in church, why we do church. And uh, we really um, felt, um, certainly in, in Revive, that this pandemic has really been an opportunity that as a lot of things have been on pause, it's been an opportunity for us to say, look, what should church really be about? What, what is important to God? What should be important to each other? Because who knows, a lot of times we do things in churches and it can be out of our culture. It can be out of habit. It can be out of routine. It can be out of the fact that we've always done things like that. But who knows that sometimes, in fact all the time, we actually need to go back to the Word of God. And we need to say, God, how do you see church? God, what, what does church look like to you? And probably the, the best thing that we can do is really go back to the book of Acts um, and say, what did the early church do? What was the early church like? And kind of use it. Who knows that the methods change? Uh, but actually the DNA of what the church is should never change. And as we go back to the book of Acts, we get a little bit of a clue as to how God wants his church to be. So in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, this is a, a, a little description of what the early church did. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, um, the, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Everyone say many wonders. Everyone say miraculous signs. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They brought bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Everyone say, added daily. Everyone say, people being saved. Come on, who knows that this is revival? 
that we've just read. This is a move of God. I don't know what, uh, what excites you when you read those verses. And, and for all of us, it might be different things that excite us. But this idea of people getting saved every day, that excites me. Anyone else? Uh, this idea of signs, wonders, miracles, healings, that gets me excited. Anyone else? And I don't know about you, but we are called Revive Church because at, right at the heart of what we do and we believe is that what God did in the book of Acts, He can do today in our day, in our generation, in our nation, and in this community. Can you say amen? Amen. We, uh, the structures may change. The way that we do church can change. The way that we organize the seats can change. But right at the heart is this. We are pursuing a move of the Holy Spirit where we see the power of God at work in our midst. We want to see people getting out of wheelchairs. We want to see cancer being healed. We want to see drug addicts and alcoholics coming in and getting delivered. We want to see people with mental health issues being touched by the power of God. We want to see lives saved, families whole, backsliders come back, marriages restored, the poor being lifted to a place of dignity. We want it all. We want the power, the kingdom of God to work in our midst. Anyone else? I don't want to live the rest of my life just doing church. I am pursuing a move of the Holy Spirit in my lifetime. Anyone else? I, I might never see it, but I'd rather die trying than just settle for ordinary. Anyone else? Um, so this is right here in the book of Acts, this move of the Holy Spirit. But also God gives us um, some clues in the book of Acts. Firstly, as to how this move of God started. Uh, but also how they sustained the move of God. Because I don't know about you, we want a move of God, and I'd settle for that bit first. But then we want to see a move of God that is sustained, right? We don't just want a move of God that lasts. You know, sometimes we have little moves, little outpourings in church, and some of you have lived in that and experienced that. We don't just want something that lasts a few weeks or a few months or even a few years. We want from generation to generation a continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And here in the book of Acts, you see... Um, how this move of God was sustained. Uh, first thing uh, to notice is um, that as Jared has just mentioned, uh, this was a seven day a week culture that they had. Notice that it says that they met together every day. Now that doesn't mean that every single one of them was there every single day, but it does mean this, that church was not just about a Sunday morning service, 10.30 while 12 o'clock. This was a lifestyle. This was a group of people that were in community, in a spiritual family, doing life together. Amen? Um, so this was seven-day-a-week culture. And then I want us to, to notice this, and, and this is um, really where I want to touch on. Verse 46. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Everyone say temple courts. They brought bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Everyone say homes. Notice that they met in the temple and they also met in homes as well. Notice that they did both. It wasn't one or the other. So they continued to meet in the temple. 
but also they continue to meet in homes as well, in people's houses. Now, don't get caught up in the in the word temple and the word home, because uh, I know we've not got a temple. And uh, we're not about to just kind of launch mass house church movement like some, uh, some churches have done. But I believe that the temple and the home speak of two very different styles of gathering. So the temple speaks of a large gathering. So everyone would come together to the temple. Temple, a big place. People would come and they would gather. Different families, different neighborhoods. That was right at the heart of the city. This place where crowds of people could come. Multitudes of people could come. And they could praise and worship God together. In contrast, the home, um, I don't really like the word small. Shall we use the word intimate? Who knows, you're not, going to get a, you're not going to get thousands of people in your living room. But you can get a small group that is more intimate. So the temple speaks of big, size, crowds, multitudes. The home speaks of a smaller, more intimate gathering. The temple speaks of structure. So when they came to the temple, there was a structure of worship that they followed. So there were certain scriptures that they would read, certain psalms that they would sing. There were certain sacrifices and offerings and prayers and rituals. It was a much more structured uh, worship service. When they gathered in homes, I can imagine it was much more informal. It was much more spontaneous. Who knows, when you invite someone round to your home, you don't kind of take your, their coat off in the hallway and then say, right, here's the lineup for our evening of fellowship together. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to discuss politics for 10 minutes. Then we're going to uh, discuss sport for five minutes. Then we're going to have uh, the meal. And, and we, we're going to, no, no. It's, who knows? It's just, it's go with the flow. We're doing life. We're family. It's, it's intimate. It's spontaneous. Um, okay, th th this next one's really important. The temple was, was ministry that was priest-led. So the most important person in the temple was the priest. You could recognize him with his long robes. And everyone would come and they would receive the blessing, the ministry from the priest. When they met in homes, it was not primarily the priest, the minister that was ministering. Actually, it was the whole body that was ministering to each other. So Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 14, describing some of these gatherings. He said, when you come together, somebody brings a prophecy. Somebody else brings a scripture. Somebody else brings a prayer. Somebody else brings a song. And there's this idea that it's not uh, just three or four uh, people at the front uh, who are preaching and leading worship. And everyone is sat there kind of looking at the front. But actually it's the whole body ministering to each other. 
Because who knows that we have all got something to contribute. We have all got something to give. And so there's this idea that it's not just two or three people at the front that are ministering and everyone comes to receive from them. No, it's this idea of everyone ministering to each other. Everyone's got a prayer. Everyone's got a prophecy. Everybody's got a testimony about what God has done in their lives. And then finally, and this just, again, just uh, re, uh, touches what Jared has just said, that the temple speaks of being sat in rows. But in the home, it speaks of being sat around tables. And nearly all scholars, theologians, would agree that the center of worship in the New Testament church, it was gathered around a meal. In fact, it's quite um, unusual because it's hard to get theologians to agree. Um, it, it, you know, it's like with, it's kind of like with, uh, you know, when we say, oh, we're following the science of a COVID, but all the scientists believe completely different things. And it's exactly the same. It's like, oh, what do theologians say? What do Bible experts say? And you realize that they all believe about 25 different things on, on different subjects. And yet nearly every scholar from every different background will agree that the New Testament church, right at the heart of their worship service, was not a stage... Not a pulpit, not a PA system, but it was a meal. And the early church would gather, sat around tables, and they would eat together. They would have a meal together. So uh, this came out of uh, first century Judaism. So if you were a first century Jew, you would do something, you would be part of something called, and this is me pronouncing um, Hebrew, so I do apologize to any actual scholars that are here, a chaburath, which is probably, you know, you can't speak Hebrew in a, in a Yorkshire accent, can you? Um, uh, not properly anyway. Um, but it means this, a friendship meal. And first century Jews would, uh, would do this together, uh, a lot of them weekly. And they would gather around tables and they would eat together and there would be laughter and there would be chat, there would be conversation, there would be catching up. How's your week gone? All this kind of stuff. However, it wasn't just purely social. There'd be a spiritual dynamic there as well. But it would all be done around these tables. So there would be an opportunity for people to give thanks for what God had done that week. There would be someone that would share a scripture. There would be someone that would pronounce a blessing. There would be someone that would lead a hymn. There will be an opportunity to discuss Torah, to discuss the word of God. And this was, this was life if you were a first century Jew. Yes, you would come to the temple on Sabbath for your big celebration. But weekly, you would gather around tables where you would share food, you would share life, you would share heart with one another, and you would fellowship with each other and with God in that relaxed intimate way and the early church took on this tradition and they did something called the agape feast or the love feast and again this was what 
New Testament church look like? If you went to a New Testament church, you would not be sat in rows like this. There would not be a worship band. There would not be a preacher who would preach for 40 minutes. And then there might be an altar call and all that kind of stuff and notices. There wouldn't be a PA system or anything like that. There would be, right at the heart of it, it would be a love feast. They would be gathered around tables. They would share food. They would have a meal. They would chat, just like the, the, the Jews did with their friendship feast. Someone would share a, share a prayer. Someone would share a testimony. Someone would share a song. Someone would, uh, would, um, uh, would share a scripture. There would be all this stuff. The two key additions that the early church added uh, that the, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the Jews didn't. The two additions were this. They would break bread. They would have the Lord's Supper. So there would be that, that act of remembrance, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And there would also be the exercise of spiritual gifts as well. But remember, the spiritual gifts were not exercised as we might do in a revival service where it's an evangelist on the stage and he's calling out words of knowledge and prophecy and healing and all this kind of thing. Actually, it's the whole body of Christ sharing prophecy, praying for the sick, giving words of wisdom, all this kind of stuff, inspiring people with faith. This is what the early church was like. So a meal... A table was right at the heart of their worship. And this is how Jesus uh, described the kingdom of God as well. Because who knows that Jesus came not bringing religion, he came bringing a kingdom. Yeah, who knows you were not saved into an organization. You were saved into a kingdom. And this is how Jesus described the kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven is like. Now he didn't say the kingdom of heaven is is like a church meeting. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet that a king prepared for his son. What, what, when we, we sing and pray and talk, don't we? We want to see God's kingdom come, amen? So what does the kingdom look like? What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come to revive church? What would it look like if we were to say the kingdom of God is among us? Well, Jesus told us what it was like. He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is like a 90-minute service where you sing six songs, then someone at the front preaches for half an hour, and then there's a prayer, and then you all go home. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet. Not a wedding ceremony. A wedding banquet. Because the, the wedding ceremony is nice for the people that are getting married. But the wedding banquet's the bit where we all get to join in. There's food. There's drink. There's laughter. There's terrible dancing. Uh, that'll be my part. There'll be, there'll be terrible jokes. Um, you know, the, the, there's, there's joy. There's laughter. There's celebration. There's family. There's community. Jesus said that is what... The kingdom of heaven is like. I believe that Jesus never intended for the pulpit 
or the stage, not that we've got a stage anymore. Um, got, in fact, this is a reason why we've not got a stage or one of them. Jesus never intended the stage or the pulpit to be at the center of the church. He always intended it for it to be a table. Now, do we still need temple-type services? Yes. Remember, they met in homes and they continue to meet in the temple as well. So we need, there is something spiritual, yes, about the small, but you look throughout the Bible, wherever God moved, who knows, there were multitudes of people. So the big crowds, the large gatherings, there has never been, you know, a move of God, a revival where just five people turned up. No, whenever God is moving, multitudes will come, crowds will come. And I don't know about you, I'm believing for the day in our nation where we fill, uh, we fill town halls, we fill, uh, we fill city centers, we fill large auditoriums, we fill stadiums, we, uh, we fill fields and parks, and there are thousands of and thousands of people coming together to worship Jesus together. Amen? So we need the large crowds. And we also need um, that apostolic five-fold ministry of well. Uh, some churches kind of, um, they, they kind of want to break away completely from organized church. And it's just, oh, we just meet in homes and everyone kind of does their own thing. That's not biblical either. God has given us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. And so there are times when we need to come together and we need, uh, we need a man, a woman of God to get behind the pulpit and bring that apostolic direction, bring that prophetic ministry, bring that evangelistic fire, teach us the word of God. We absolutely need that. The problem is that over time, we've overemphasized the temple style of worship, and we have forgotten the power and the beauty of just gathering around tables and being family together. And church is now a competition between who's got the best temple worship. You know, who's got the best band? Who's got the best preacher? Who's got the, the best, uh, you know, the, the best building? And we think that if only we improve our temple, revival will come. You know, if only we got better worship, better preaching, a better building, then one day God will just turn up. No. Yeah, we need that. But we also, what will sustain a move of God? It's family and community. In fact, if you study the history of revivals, many revivals end because all their focus is on the temple. All the, and, and, and after a few years, the evangelist gets burnt out. The worship team get burnt out. The leaders have all fallen out with each other. And the, and the revival ends. But if we can combine... A temple where multitudes can come from all over the nation. And there can be apostolic preaching and powerful worship teams and great moves of the Spirit. If we can somehow combine that with we're a family. And this is intimacy. And actually what happens around those tables is no less spiritual than what happens from the pulpit.
And actually that, uh, that five-minute testimony from that 15-year-old kid who has never spoken in public before is just as powerful and just as spiritual as a 40-minute sermon from a guest preacher. Come on, amen. Um, so, um, Jesus had this wonderful thing where he moved effortlessly between ministering temple style to family style. So there are many times in the, in the Gospels where you read that Jesus would just sit down and preach and teach the Word of God. Sometimes all day. I'm not going to copy him today, don't worry. And, and multitudes would come and he would lay hands on them. And they would be healed. Come on, I love all that stuff. Anyone else? Um, but sometimes we think, or maybe it's just me as someone who's kind of a bit of an evangelist. I sometimes think that that's, that's the only kind of ministry that Jesus did. That he was up preaching and teaching and laying hands on people. And it was awesome. And he did that. But who knows that there were times when Jesus would deliberately withdraw from that. And he would have a meal with someone. And actually in those meal time occasions, powerful things took place. Let me just highlight one or two. In Luke 7 you read about Jesus being sat at a meal table. He's having a meal in someone's house. And a woman comes in who the Bible describes her as a sinful woman. You wouldn't want that on your name tag, would you? You came into church, the sinful woman. Um, and she came in. She didn't walk in to a worship, a, a worship service where the band is singing King of Kings Majesty, that's the only worship song I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> they, they, they didn't walk in while the band are in full flow. She didn't walk in while Jesus was in the midst of a sermon. She walked in while Jesus was having a meal. And her heart was so moved and so overwhelmed that she came to that table, broke down, and just began to wet the feet of Jesus with her tears. Dry them with her hair. And everyone looked at that woman and said, what on earth is Jesus doing? Letting that you know, woman touch him like that. Doesn't he know what kind of woman she is? Who knows Jesus knew exactly what kind of woman she was. And yet he spoke the greatest words that any of us could possibly hear. Your sins are forgiven. Who knows, they're, they're the, you can't hear any greater words than that from Jesus. And he said, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. I don't know how she came, but who knows, it's not how you come, it's how you leave. She left in perfect peace, knowing that her sins were forgiven, knowing that she was right with God, knowing that her debt was cancelled. Maybe you are here today and you have never heard Jesus speak those words over your life. Your sins are forgiven. Everything you have ever done is washed away. Today is a brand new start. You can leave this place knowing that you have peace with God. Wow. 
You can have that experience this morning. But it happened at a meal table. In, um, in Luke chapter 19, you read about a guy called Zacchaeus. Um, who again, not a very nice guy. He was a tax collector. Who knows that people that work for the tax collecting people, they're not nice people. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you know, some things have changed in 2,000 years. But one thing that is consistent, um, you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And still, everyone hates the tax man. Um, so this, this uh, scumbag tax collector, um, you can tell it's nearly the end of January, can't you? Um, um, you know the story, Zacchaeus, um, uh, you know, he's a short guy, I can't relate to him at all, but, um, you know, he, he runs after Jesus, and uh, you know the story, he climbs a tree, we know it, right in Sunday school, Jesus stops, spots him, and what does he say? He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to preach you a sermon. He didn't say, um, Zacchaeus, you need to go on my, uh, you know, my new beginner's course. He said, Zacchaeus... I want to come to your house for a meal. And they sit having a a meal together. And I don't know what happened as they were eating. But something touched the heart of Zacchaeus. And he said, you know what? I need to change my life. The way I am living has got to change. And he said, I've got to give back everything I've stolen. I've got to make restitution for it. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. He was not changed in a church service. He was changed around a meal table. Um, Luke 24, just a, just a couple more. Luke 24, you read about, this is after the resurrection. And there's, uh, there's two guys, uh, remember, or it could even have been a married couple. Uh, they're on the road from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. And they're, they're upset because Jesus has died. And Jesus turns up, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And Jesus has probably the greatest Bible study that there has ever been. Where they're on this road and he's opening up the, the word of God. And he's showing them all the way through the Old Testament where he is in the Old Testament. Who would like the podcast of that one? Come on. Um, and then they say, uh, um, it says that they came to the place where they lived uh, Jesus acted like he was going further. He's a little tease, isn't he? Um, but, but they said, uh, they, they persuaded him uh, to stay, to come for a meal with them. And it says, at the meal table, as he brought bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized that it was Jesus. Their eyes weren't opened in the Bible study. Anyone else find that amazing? Their hearts were warmed. Their hearts were set on fire as he was speaking. But it was around the table that their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. And last one in John's gospel, in John 21, you read about Peter. And Peter, of course, has denied Jesus three times. He's called down curses. Peter is... He's backslidden in our, our language. He's, a, he's totally gone away from God. He's denied knowing Jesus. He's gone back to fishing. And there's this powerful moment of restoration. Um, how did it happen? They were having breakfast together. A fire, fish, food, fellowship. 
And in that meal together, Peter is not only restored, but he's promoted. And Jesus says, you're going you're gonna to be, basically, you're going to be a, a key leader in my church. Happened. None of those things happened. And there's others as well. We could talk about the wedding at Cana where Jesus did his first miracle. There's others. But these things did not happen while Jesus was preaching at people. They happened while he was having a meal with people. There are some things that will only happen around tables. There are some people that will never be reached by a sermon. There will be some people that will never be, um, be touched in what we would call you know, a, a powerful Pentecostal temple-style service. Some people will. But some people will find forgiveness around a table. Some people will be restored around a table. Some people will see Jesus around a table. Some people will be transformed at a table. Um, I want to close by going to Psalm 23. And you know where I'm going. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.